want you to raise your hand this morning if you can uh, answer yes to one of these questions, then just keep your, keep your hand up. Do you know someone that dislikes you? Do you know someone that dislikes you? Keep your hands up. Do you know someone that you dislike? Okay, let's be nice here over there this morning. Do you have someone that is opposed to you? Do you know anyone that does not love you? I'm pretty sure one, we could answer yes to one of those four questions. Every single person in this room this morning. You may not consider that person that you're thinking of right now as an enemy. They not, may not be an enemy in the sense that they're trying to destroy you, but they might be a person who does not love you. The question before us this morning is, how do we interact with those people? The person that you just thought of. How are you going to interact with that person this next week? Very simply, how do we interact with those who do not love us? Because we're doing it all of the time. When you think of this normally, if you asked us, what's our default setting? What's our default setting in how we interact with those who don't want to interact with us? What's our default setting for how we interact with those who want to harm us? I think our default setting would fall under one of these four different ways. Number one, we usually want to give them what they deserve. I don't know about you, but this is kind of the way I think through things, right? You don't work, you don't get paid. That's what you deserve. You don't deserve a wage. Most of us have a justice mindset. So give them what they deserve. Second normal pattern in our life is give them what they give us. Right? So if you didn't get invited to Thanksgiving dinner last year, well, I'm not going to invite them to Thanksgiving dinner this year. What's our justification? Well, they didn't invite us last year. Give them what they give us. Third, give them what the crowd approves. Now this ties into the first two. Because usually there's a voice in one of our ear that's what? Reinforcing. Yeah, give them what, yeah, they did that. Well, they deserve that. Or there's a voice that's saying what? Yeah, they didn't invite you. You don't have to feel that. You don't have to invite them. And then what? The crowd goes one step further. You don't even have to feel bad about not inviting them. The crowd What's the crowd saying to do? That's how we normally respond. Or, or fourth, and maybe this is the most popular of all for those of us in Minnesota and South Dakota. We give them nothing by seeking to avoid them. Anybody fall in that category? The old avoidance mechanism. It sure is beautiful. And here's the awesome part of the avoidance mechanism. We still, still feel good about ourselves. So here's your bonus opportunity today to get some bonus points. This afternoon, after you've listened to the whole message, we'll be, we'll be done before this afternoon, but before, if you can listen to the whole message, if you can listen to the whole message and then say, hey, 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 why is it unacceptable to avoid them? Why is it unacceptable to avoid them? If you can answer that question, you've listened well this morning. Well, as we listen to the words of Jesus, it doesn't take long to come to the conclusion that the Jesus way is different than our default way. The Jesus way is different than the default way. Very simply put this morning, the Jesus way is to show kindness to those who are against us because God shows kindness to us. 
that Jesus' way is to show kindness to those who are against us because God has shown kindness to us. You can kind of think about it this way. Random acts of kindness are really popular these days, right? Everybody does them. It's really fun to go through a drive-thru and then pay for the person behind you and people call into the radio station and share all these fun stories about random acts of kindness. This morning, Jesus has a different way for us to think about this. I don't know if he's for or against random acts of kindness, but I do know this. He's for intentional acts of kindness towards those who are opposed to us. There should be nothing random about it. Because if we leave it for random, it will not happen. Jesus is for intentional acts of kindness towards those who are opposed to us. When you look at the teaching of Jesus this morning, the first thing we come to see in his very first few words is this. Jesus is not for neutral. Jesus is not for neutral. Say that with me. Jesus is not for neutral. Look at the first couple of verses here in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. Love your enemies. Then it goes right into it. Do good. Bless. Pray. This is not neutrality. Jesus is not saying, hey, 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 just stand pat. Now, let's go a little bit further where it really starts to hurt. Really rub. Go down to verse 35. But love your enemies. Again, do good. And then, I don't know why he had to throw this in. And lend, expecting nothing in return. Oh, hold on, on. Let me put that in simple language for you. Borrow money to people who hate you. Okay, now Jesus is what? Going after that which we hold closest, our pocketbook, plus going after that which we desire to do the most. Give them what they deserve and give them what they gave us. Jesus wants us to give them money. This is not neutrality. Jesus isn't saying, just borrow to them at a fair interest rate. No, 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 no. Borrow to them at no interest rate. Now, I know some of you in the bank world are now going, well, that doesn't work. Most of Jesus' ways don't work. But one step further, it's not borrow to them at no interest rate. It's borrow to them and be fine if they don't give it back. Most of you are like, I'm not even fine if my kids don't even give it back. (laughs) Jesus' way is vastly different. Jesus is not about coming to a position that says, you know what, I no longer want nothing bad to happen to that person. And that's what a lot of us get excited about when we finally get to that point where, you know what, we're not praying against that person, but now it's kind of like, I'm just fine now. God doesn't want us neutral. He actually wants us what? Praying blessings for that person. So the in-law, the in-law that doesn't invite you to Thanksgiving, Jesus wants you now to invite them to Thanksgiving, and you know what? Give them the best seat at the table. Not just give them the best seat at the table, but give them the first cut of turkey. Make the best meal possible. Because, right, it's kind of like, well, I guess they can come, but you can probably come over like at 7. That's kind of when we start with the popcorn and that kind of stuff like that. No, 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 no. He wants us to engage and extend kindness, be in a position of offense, not neutrality. 
The message of Jesus Christ is not stop. The message of Jesus Christ is repent, which means turn around and start going in the other direction. The life of a Christian is a life of activity. It's outpouring ourselves for the purposes of God, not avoiding the things that God hates. If you're simply avoiding the things that God hates, you're living the religious life. No joy and no impact. But God has called us to a life of being on the offense where we're living out the commands of God, not avoiding our enemies, but extending a hand of kindness to our enemies. Now, when most of us hear this, myself included, the first place I go is what? Exceptions to the rule. How many of you like exceptions to the rule? Okay, this is where most of us go when we read the Bible as a whole. Well, hold on a second. Hold on a second here. Jesus is talking to religious people. And so he probably means only the religious people that don't like you. Jesus isn't talking about the rest of the the world here. He's just talking about other Christians who, who, who don't like you. No, 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 no. Do you know who put Jesus on the cross? It wasn't other Christians. It was the Roman government. Okay, the Roman government was not pro-God. And what does it say in the book of 1 Peter? That when the Roman government hurled insults on him, when the Roman government hit him with a whip, what does it say that Jesus did? He did not retaliate. 1 Peter 2 and 3. Rather, he went to the cross willingly. When Jesus is on the cross, and he's about to come to that final moment of death, and he utters one of the final words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Do you think it was a crowd that they checked everybody's badge before they got there and said, hey, are you a faithful Jewish Christian? No. There was Roman soldiers there. There were townspeople there. There were Jews there. Gentiles there. And who does Jesus pray forgiveness for? The crowd that is there. This is not just religious people only. Well, another exception might be, well, 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 hold on here. Jesus Jesus didn't know how bad it was going to get. Jesus didn't know that there were going to be people that used real weapons on, on other real people. Je- Jesus didn't know there would be suicide bombers of other religions going, going into places. So, so Jesus didn't know that, so it definitely doesn't apply here. Once again, once again, two things. One, a very shallow view of Jesus. To think that Jesus only understood that which he saw and felt is to basically say to Jesus, he's not God. The second thing is this, is to think that everything was peace and quiet back in Jesus' day. Let me explain what happened back in Jesus' day. Not just religion against religion, but actually inner religion fighting. Maybe you've read somewhere in the Gospels where you find out there's this guy that's called a zealot. And he gets called to be one of Jesus' followers. They were called zealots because what they wanted to do is they wanted to use any power possible to overthrow the government that was overtaking them. Not only that, but the zealots were willing to harm religious leaders 
who they thought were being unfaithful. So one of the reasons that many people are like, Jesus, why do you have a zealot in your group? Is because there was an understanding that at times, zealots would literally stab you in the back. Evil acts. It's nothing new. It would maybe look differently with a different type of mechanism, but it was still happening in the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not surprised. He's not like, hmm, I wasn't expecting that. I would have adjusted my teaching a little bit. The message of Jesus Christ is that for you and I and all creation, that we would give the kindness of God, not what people deserve or what they have given to us. Now, this is difficult to to even begin to grasp and understand. And I know what some of you are thinking, because I I hear this in different, different places. Well, come on, Pastor. We would have chaos in our world. Absolute chaos. Well, we have to distinguish here. Jesus is not saying to government authorities, don't, don't, man, don't, don't put in effects for people that break the law. Okay? Jesus is teaching his people at the exact same time, it tells us in Romans 13, that God instituted government. That God put civil authorities in place. And it says in Romans 13 that God gave civil authorities the power and the authority to punish those who do harm. So Jesus is not just saying, hey, whatever happens, just let it go. Absolutely not. It's difficult to understand. We've got to understand there's two different kingdoms. The kingdom of God, which rules everything, and yet yet there's been this temporary kingdom, the kingdom of earth, that in that kingdom God has put civil authorities and given power and authority to for a temporary time to, to bring about justice, earthly justice. But you and I, who claim the name of Jesus Christ, we seek that mercy would triumph. That when civil authorities execute justice, we want them to do it in a merciful way. We want them to do it in a redemptive way. And so tomorrow, in the state of South Dakota, don't plan this, this just happened. Tomorrow in the state of South Dakota, we have an execution in our state. Someone will be put to death for the... They put somebody else to death. Now, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should not be just standing up cheering, going, yay, someone's being put to death. This is awesome, justice and vengeance. As followers of Jesus Christ, we should be humbly recognizing the authority that God has given the government and praying that those government authorities are acting with wisdom and humility in all circumstances. There's followers of Christ who think it's wrong. There's followers of Christ who think it's right. But we know this, that God wants mercy. And so we stand and we pray for those civil authorities. You're a follower of Christ this morning? You can be pro-death penalty. There's there's biblical argument to back that up. There's faithful Christians that believe the government authorities should hold that authority and the power. But here's what's unacceptable. For a follower of Christ, to believe in vengeance through the death penalty executed by the government. There is no desire for vengeance. There's desire for justice and mercy. Followers of Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility 
to be the hands and feet of Christ to extend kindness, not to just to those who give us kindness, but extend kindness to those who do not even deserve it and don't even want it. This is not happy-go-lucky Jesus like, oh, everybody get in a circle and sing Kumbaya. Okay? Jesus is not saying, hey, hey, if somebody does something wrong, don't tell them they did anything wrong. Just do something nice for them. No, no, no. We still stand for truth and speak out when wrong is done. But that wrong does not dictate our kindness towards them. Again, last week we talked about the Jesus way is sometimes not going to make sense because where is it based out of? The throne of heaven. Not the throne of Hollywood, not the throne of D.C., but the throne of heaven. And so there's going to be times when the marching orders are not always going to make sense because it's coming from a different throne. And Jesus' marching orders for us are saying, extend kindness. And now the next response that most of us give is this. Well, they don't even deserve it. Bingo. You went right where Jesus is going. That's right. They don't deserve it. That's the whole point of Jesus' teaching. Extend kindness. Why? Because they don't deserve it. Check out, go to the bottom here with me in Luke chapter 6, verse 35 and 36. Get right to the because, the for, the foundation of why Jesus is saying extend kindness. Love your enemies and do good. Lend nothing, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High. For, in other words, for is because, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. The foundation of our kindness is the kindness of God. The fuel for our kindness is the kindness that God has poured into us. You and I may respond this morning by saying, they don't deserve it. The message from the scriptures to you and I this morning is, you and I don't deserve it. The humbling message of scripture this morning is that what you and I deserve is the wrath of God. Ephesians chapter 2 begins by describing that you and I are creatures of wrath. Because of what we have done in turning our backs on God, we deserve one thing. God's wrath. Eternal punishment. We don't talk about this a lot. But the reality is, humanity, because of our sin, deserves hell. That's what the Bible teaches. And until we understand we don't, that, we don't understand the gospel. Until we don't can't understand the Lord's Prayer until you understand that. Because right in the middle of the Lord's Prayer is what? Forgive them as you've forgiven us. You and I, what do we deserve? We deserve eternal punishment. But then Ephesians 2 breaks in and it says, We are creatures of wrath, but God who is rich in mercy... What is God who is rich in mercy did? He extended kindness to you and I through his son, Jesus Christ. And so that's why Jesus says here, be merciful as your father is merciful. Because what has God done for you? God has extended mercy. The fuel for our kindness is the kindness of God. And so if you're having trouble 
if you're having trouble building up the momentum, the desire to extend kindness to that in-law, if you're having trouble building up the desire to extend kindness to that coworker, guess where you need to go? You don't need to go to Facebook. You don't need to go to the crowd. You need to go to the scriptures where you hear about the kindness of God. That's where you need to be fueled up so that you have mercy to extend to others. Extend mercy because God has extended mercy to you and I. Here's where it's absolutely crazy and it does not make sense and there's no logical way of looking at it. Anything that happens to us today or here and now in this life that someone does to us and what they deserve in a sense of justice cannot match what you and I deserve for eternity. What you and I deserve is eternal punishment. Anything that's done now is people deserve punishment here and now. And what has God done? God has given us kindness that has triumphed that everlasting, eternal punishment that we deserve. And now asking us to extend the mercy and the temporary. No one's saying this is easy. It's, God takes a lot of wisdom and discernment but it's non-negotiable. This is not pick and choose, but rather this is about putting the Jesus way into action in all of our lives. So when you think about that person this morning, that person that, when I ask you to raise your hand, when you think about that person and how you're going to interact with that person over this next week, you need to ask yourself two questions. One, is your way in alignment with the Jesus way, is how you are going to interact with that person in alignment with the Jesus way of how he'd have you interact with that person. Secondly, second question, which step are you going to take this next week to get in alignment with Jesus? What step are you going to take this next week to get in alignment with Jesus? Maybe what you need to do, that very first step can be this. You simply need to start praying for good things to happen in that person's life. That can be your next step. You might not be ready to pick up the phone this afternoon, call them, and, and go out for drinks tonight, okay? But the first step might be, I'm going to start praying for good things to happen in their life. The, the, maybe the next step for you is you've been praying for that. The next step for you is this. Simply acknowledge them. This doesn't mean you have to go on a seven-day cruise together. But you can acknowledge them. You can call them and say, hey, how are you doing? Just call them to check in and see how things are going. At work, you can intentionally go to the copy machine when they're going to be at the copy machine. Acknowledge them. It goes a long, long ways. Because as long as we avoid them, what happens? We continue to fuel. We continue to fuel our default position of give them what they deserve and give them what they've given us. What's the one step you need to take this next week? Pray for them or maybe acknowledge them? What's at stake in all of this is people. The person who's opposed to you, the person who has done wrong to you, the person who does not love you is hurting just as much as you are, if not more. What's at stake is the well-being of their soul. 
That's why God desires for you and I to extend mercy as he's extended mercy to us. What's at stake is the soul of people. And you never know, you never know what might come out of your action of kindness. My ministry, being a pastor, might very well be the result of an action of kindness. I was a math major in college. And as I was going to math major, my plan was to teach math. And, and I used to hang out with this professor at the University of Sioux Falls. He's kind of a goofy guy a little bit. Um, everybody kind of avoided him. And anyhow, he's kind of a mentor to me. He spent a lot of time with me. Got to my senior year, senior year in college, and it's kind of time to like, I gotta decide what I'm gonna do. And uh, to hang out with this professor one day. And he's a math professor. He's the one that you know trained me in my beautiful abilities as a mathematician. And this professor, this professor said to me, Hey, you know what? I don't think you should be a math teacher. I think you should consider going into the ministry and going into the church world. Maybe he saw my grades. He did see my grades, I guess. Here's a math teacher who encouraged me to go into the ministry because he himself loved Jesus Christ. Here's how this math teacher came to love Jesus Christ. He was at the funeral for a man. And here's the story of the man whose funeral he was at. The man had just died of brain cancer. The man was not a Christian his whole life. He had become a Christian in his last couple days of living. The reason that man became a Christian is because his ex-father-in-law came and visited him. Here's what happened. His ex-father-in-law, a professor at, at a university, had, had one, one daughter and three boys. Her one daughter was married, his one daughter was married with, with four children. When this professor was about to retire, he was about 66 years old, his daughter's husband, the man who had brain cancer, or ended up with brain cancer, left him, left, left his daughter. So left his daughter with four children. The professor had just retired from the school. His daughter, who has four kids, is now devastated with absolutely nothing. The professor just retired has to go back to work. Where does he go back to work? He can't find a job anywhere. So what do you have to do at 66? You got to go and pick up garbage. So he started working for a garbage company. Worked for a garbage company for four years until he was 70. At 70, his ex-son-in-law came down with brain cancer. His ex-son-in-law had done bad stuff. The worst of the worst had left his own daughter and grandchildren devastated. The professor went and visited him at the hospital. And over a two- or three-day window, the man with breast cancer, brain cancer, came to put his faith in Jesus Christ because his ex-father-in-law came and visited him. And at that man's funeral, the pastor called for a decision to be made for those who had gathered together and said, maybe today is the day that you need to respond like this man responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The math professor who asked me to go into ministry was in attendance at that funeral service. He heard the good news of Jesus Christ because somebody said, I'm going to be kind because God has
has been kind to me. Nobody in the crowd at all would have said to this father-in-law, wow, I can't believe you didn't go and visit him. Nobody would have second-guessed that decision at all. But what did he do? He did the Jesus way. He went to the very man who made him go back to work. He went to the very man who harmed his daughter. The very man who put his grandchildren in a difficult spot. And he loved him and shared the good news of Jesus Christ. And you never know what the outcome of that is going to be. And so today, are you going to extend kindness as God has extended kindness to you? Let us pray. Merciful God, we come before you in recognition of what we deserve. And we praise you this morning for the mercy that you have shown to us. And as we now take time to remember that mercy through the death of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray that you'd renew our hearts, that you'd renew our minds to be refreshed in your mercy. So God, I ask over these next couple of moments as we commune together, you would fuel us with your mercy. God, thank you for having mercy upon us. And now I pray specifically that you'd give us the diligence and the power to extend that mercy to others. In Jesus' name, amen.